Hi, I'm Anthony Wilson, the author of quite a few books, but just recently I put out a 365 day journal. This journal, you can take your sermon notes, you can write your prayer requests and answered prayers. You can also use as a study notebook for your personal study. I'm telling you, this journal has everything and yes, it is 365 days. So you want a journal that will last? This one is for you. It's called I Am What I Am by the Grace of God. And this journal is inspired by my church's declaration. We say every Sunday, I'm born again, spirit-filled, spirit-led, Bible-grounded, grace-empowered, loving, forgiving, generous, committed to community, continuous in prayer, enthusiastic in my serving, but patient in my suffering, and prepared to see Jesus when that day comes. Pick up your 365-day journal today. All right, I'm going to hop on here and um, post this video real quick. Um, I've been wrestling with this for a couple of weeks. This whole uh, Calvin, Arminian argument and, you know, you're either one or the other. And I don't understand it. I'm not into the isms and the schisms. And, you know, I'm just a person that wants to read the Bible and see what it says. And so a lot of the argument leads up to uh, or stems from I guess Romans chapter 9 um, I wasn't really familiar with this whole argument uh, so I wanted to read it for myself uh, watched uh, a bunch of videos read a bunch of uh, material trying to understand you know the different takes the different directions uh, that people take um, I really don't understand the Armenian direction it doesn't really seem like much of anything. Um, the Calvin argument is really about predestination and God predetermining, predestining salvation, predestining your ability to receive salvation. Um, they have a whole system. Um, and so I, I don't want to dive into that. What I want to dive into is five points. Um, that as I'm reading Romans chapter 9 verses 6 through 33 that I believe are um, irrefutable that there's nothing that we could say or do to argue them away they're actually concrete and um, to me they make uh, sense and they lead right into chapter 10 to a major conclusion that I want to share with you. So I'm just going to give you these five points um, that I found in Romans 9. And you decide if it's uh, Calvinistic or Arminian. Um, I don't subscribe to either one. I just read the Bible. I just study the Bible. You know, I'm in the process of getting my, you know, degree in biblical studies and I just study the word and so I want the word to speak and so in Romans chapter 9 the first point that jumps out at me when I read these verses uh, Romans chapter 9 verses 6 I'm just gonna read verses 6 um, down through 13 it says but is it not that the word of God 
has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called, that is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children, are these not the children of God? But the children of the promise um, are counted as the seed. He goes on to say, for this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, but the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It is said to her, the older shall serve the younger. It is written, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. So the first point I see here is God predestined the election of Israel. And he did it through Abraham's seed, which is Isaac. And then number two, God predestined that Jacob would be the chosen one that the seed would endure through. And that Jacob, being the younger would uh, rule over the older. Now all this is scripture. Uh, Genesis chapter 25 verses 19 through 34 and in Malachi chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. Um, Genesis chapter 12, the whole chapter is about Abraham um, and the promise that was made to him. In Genesis chapter 15, the whole chapter is about Abraham and the promise that was made to him. So the first thing, ironclad, nothing we can do about this. You can't explain this away or argue this away. God predestined Israel's election. He did. He selected them. Period. There's nothing that can change this. So number two, as we read verses uh, 14 on down, it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses... I have mercy on whoever I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, is it not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy? For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. Uh, you who say to them, why does he, why did, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O oh man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to the him who formed it, why have you made me like this? Does the potter have the power over the clay? For the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. I'm going to stop there. Number two, God raised up Pharaoh to show his power. He said, I'll show mercy on whomever I want to show mercy. I will harden whoever I want to harden. Exodus uh, chapter 9, verses 12 through 16. And you'll see that God raised up Pharaoh for this particular specific purpose you can't get around it God did that he made that happen that was all him 
He chose that. He uh, determined that. He did that. Okay? Now, number one, God predestined Israel, their election. Number two, God raised up Pharaoh um, to show his power. Number three, God saved, saved both Jews and Gentiles based upon his purpose. Uh, verse 22, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for his glory. Even us he called not only the Jews, or not the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. And he's going to quote scripture as he says in Hosea. And this is Hosea uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 23. I will call them my people who were not my people. These are the Gentiles. And her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass uh, in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. They there shall be called so they shall be sorry there they shall be called the sons of the living God then he quotes Isaiah Isaiah cries out concerning Israel through the number of the children of Israel be as the sands of the sea the remnant will be saved for I will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth again Isaiah and as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabaoth has left a seed in us, we would become like Sodom and we would have become like Gomorrah. So what happens here? God chooses to save both Gentiles and a remnant of the Jews. Why? Because he made a covenant. He predestined Israel's election. So he's not going to break his covenant. He's not going to break his word. God did that. This is predestined. There's nothing that can be changed there. Okay? That's number three. Number four. God predestines how mankind is going to be saved. Now, this is the part that I feel like um, people just overlook and they don't read, but we'll read it. This is verses 30 through 33. What shall we say then? that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not obtained uh, to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by works of the law. For they stumbled at a stumbling stone. And so he's uh, kind of contrasting how the Gentiles, they don't know nothing, but yet he saved them Israel knew the law did they not have enough faith Did they do it by faith and still miss it no God predestined how they were going to be saved here it is a quote from Isaiah uh, behold I lay in Zion a stumbling stone a rock of offense and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame how are people going to be saved? They're going to have to believe on the one that God chose. Whoever. So, here's the 
big reveal. This whole chapter is explaining to us that if God says it, that settles it. You can't change it. There's nothing that you can do to talk people out of it, that you can't reverse it, that God said it. And there are things that God has said that have stuck all the way through the Old Testament, all the way up to the New Testament. And this is the final uh, decree here that cannot be changed. And what is he decreeing? That whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And this means if you are Jew, if you are Gentile, if you are male, female, uh, uh, poor, <laughs> rich, whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. This is God's choice and God's decision and no one can change it. Why is this important? Because at that particular time, the Jews still wanted to be saved through the law. And God said, no, you're not going to be saved through the law. You're going to be saved through this stumbling block that I have chosen. If you do not believe on him, you will not be saved. To the Gentiles, Gentiles don't know anything. They believe in a pantheon of gods. They believe in a whole bunch of gods. And so they think, well, it's just another God. No, there's only one name under heaven by which man can be saved. Now, why do I know that this is exactly how to interpret this? Because all you got to do is go to the next chapter, drop down to uh, uh, chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. And we'll just read it. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You see how he repeated what he said at the end of chapter 9? He repeats it here as he talks about confessing Christ as Lord. Um, verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. So he says the same thing. It doesn't matter. I already told you I'm going to save the Jews and I'm going to save the Gentiles. I'm going to save them both. But this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it through them believing upon the one that I send. If they confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, they will be saved. Verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved God is in full control he has predestined the vehicle of salvation and it is Jesus Christ and that's the argument that Paul is making I don't know what Calvinists think the argument is I don't know what Arminians think the argument is maybe I'm being a Calvinist by the way I'm interpreting this maybe I'm being an Arminian I don't know because I don't subscribe to either one but right here the argument that Paul is making in Romans chapter 9 through chapter 10 is that God chooses who and how they're going to be saved. Who's going to be saved? The ones who believe on Jesus Christ. How are they going to be saved? Through Jesus Christ. Period. That's what he's predestined. That cannot be changed. That cannot be removed. Give me your comments, your concerns. I know people are going to be mad at me. They're going to come for me. But it's all right. It's just we just read the Bible. What does the Bible say? God bless you.